Well, hey, church. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a while. My name's Vanessa, if you don't know who I am. Um, I, I was here for over three years. I still consider myself to be here. Um, if you haven't seen me recently, it's because I'm, we're in a little season of going to grace. So I, have, I still love Jesus. I have not walked away from the faith. <laughs> it just is a little, a little more adaptable to my family right now. So like I said, it's a season. I miss you guys so stinking much. Um, so I'm so happy to be here. Kyle and Stephanie are on a much-needed vacation with Jack-Jack, who I think woke them up real, real early today. So it was very early when Kyle sent me a text and said, hey, praying for you. And Jack woke us up really early. So um, so we have been in a series called King of Hearts. Um, and if you have been any part of it, you know that it is a very high challenge sermon series. And um, Kyle gave me the go-ahead to be as not high challenge as possible, and I couldn't do it. So you're going to get challenged today, but it's very high invitation, and I'm going to make you laugh. So, no, that's, I hope I make you laugh, but I also hope I challenge you. So um, the way that Kyle has been talking about this series, we've been in the book of Samuel and this high challenge, and basically the way that he explains it is that God, with his flaming hot finger will put that finger on open wounds either in our individual lives or in our church so that healing might take place. So it hurts. It's not pretty, um, but it's desperately needed. So for that, I'm always thankful. Um, But I, I have seriously, I told Julia right before this, I've changed this message at least 40 times since Kyle asked me to do it. And 30 of those times were yesterday. So I am not preaching on anything that I told her I was going to preach on today. And um, I have never, I have never struggled or toiled so much with a message in like the 10 years that I was preaching. So hopefully it goes somewhere. Um, But I think the reason I switched so much is because God kept doing stuff. And every time God does something, I want to talk about it. Because one rule that I have always made for myself is that uh, if I have the honor of being on in here on this table with you, I will never speak about something that does not directly affect my life, that I cannot be changed by. Because if I can't be changed by what I'm teaching on, why in the world would I ever ask you to even listen to a word of what I have to say? So, yes, this message is painfully relevant to me as well. So yesterday, my message was all about Nathaniel, one of the disciples, and it was a good one. So maybe I'll get to teach on that a different time. <laughs> We've spent so much time in the Old Testament lately. I was really excited to be in the New Testament. Like, yes, I'm sure. But then God, with his like little fishing pole, kind of reeled me back right into the Old Testament. So here we go. So today we're going to be in First Kings. I have no slides for you today because I'm a hot, hot mess. And so hopefully you have your listening ears on today. I was working on this message at 8:40 this morning. And I had to leave at 8.45. So that just shows you fresh manna from heaven. So, uh, okay. So um, the two books of Kings come after the two books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. Which if you have been here, you know that that's what we're currently studying. And First and Second Kings covers the history of about 400 years. 
it kind of starts, 1 Kings starts right after King David dies. Spoiler alert. So uh, it covers the span of 400 years, ending with the destruction of a lot of things for Israel. The destruction of the temple, all of Israel's history, their captivity to Babylon. Also, spoiler alert. But we won't be even talking about that today. So these two books are fantastic. If you are into, like, fantastical, like... um, really sweet, like Lord of the Rings and like all of those other things that I just can't think of right now because that's not my gig. You would love these books. They will scratch that itch for you. Doing These stories are about these giants of the faith, Elijah, Elijah, who were these miracle-working monsters of the faith, King Solomon, who was the, the wisest and the richest man who ever lived. Uh, these two books are wonderful. Today we're going to be in 1 Kings 17. And once again, I have nothing on the screen, so there's Bibles underneath you, there's your phone, it's very handy. And here we're actually introduced to Elijah. Uh, He is the second man of only two men in history that ever left this earth without experiencing death. Him and Enoch both whisked away to heaven. He also is one of the only two men who were represented there with Jesus in the transfiguration. So him and Moses. So it's, we do know that Elijah is super, super important in the kingdom. He is one of the mightiest men of God in all of history. And here in 1 Kings 17, he kind of comes onto the scene and it's just chaos. Israel and Judah, they were once together. Now they're divided. The king of Israel, King Ahab, is just this evil king who's allowing so many things to come into the Israel culture. False gods, um, more importantly, uh, the god Baal, uh, where it does not belong. Lots of idol worship and all of these things that is just not the heart of God for Israel. And the prophet Elijah is coming to kind of lay the smack down. So he's coming to let King Ahab know that his time and the, the time of all of these evil kings is coming to an end. So if you continue reading past what we covered today, you'll see Elijah really boldly challenging Baal, really challenging and out-miracling this God and all of the prophets on multiple occasions. So I encourage you to keep reading. Now that you have a little bit of background, we're going to start with uh, the first verse of 1 Kings 17, but I would like to pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. My prayer today is that I would hide behind the shadow of your cross, that not one person would hear or see Vanessa, but that they would hear and see you, Jesus that we would walk away from this place looking and sounding more like you and that we would put a smile on your face today. In your name we pray. Amen. First Kings 17 verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then, Elijah, then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. 
But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. We have, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to go get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering sticks, a few sticks, to cook this meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is that God has this really amazing way over and over and over again to put things into place for a miracle to happen before we even know like that the problem is even, is even there. And today, I want to talk about God's amazing provision, which always points us back to Jesus. His miracles are there not just to cause us shock and awe, much like the fireworks that kept me up half the night. It's not even the 4th of July, things. But to give us a sense of urgency to tell somebody, to be somebody's Elijah, to continue this kindness that God shows us. So freebie lesson, God is not limited to who or what he uses to deliver his miracles. We see Elijah is gearing up for his earthly ministry. It's reminiscent of when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, except in this case, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. But Elijah was, he was concealed from the world, praying, meditating, receiving strength from the Lord for his amazing, powerful earthly ministry fed by the ravens, meat and bread every day, twice a day from the brook that he resided by. He did this for three and a half years, constantly trusting the Lord for that next meal to come. It's also reminiscent of when the Israelites were in the desert after they escaped from Egypt. The 40 years in the desert, manna from heaven, constant, constant um, waiting on the Lord and trusting that the Lord would provide what he said he was going to provide. And we'll see this pattern kind of happen in the story. A commentator broke down this portion of scripture in a really interesting way. Um, He said, let us learn first to acknowledge the sovereignty and power of God over all the creatures. He can make what use he pleases of them, either for judgment or for mercy. Secondly, to encourage ourselves in God in our greatest straits and never to distrust him. He that could furnish a table in the wilderness and make ravens, purveyors, cooks, and servers 
to his prophet, is able to supply all our need according to his riches and glory. Thus does Elijah for a great while eat his morsels alone and his provision of water, which he has in an ordinary way from the brook, fails him. The powers of nature are limited, but not the powers of the God of nature. Elijah's brook dried up because there was no rain. If the heavens fail, earth, of course, fails. Such are all our creature comforts. I like that word. We lose them when we most need them, like the brooks in summer. But there is a river which makes glad the city of our God and which never runs dry, a well of water that springs up to eternal life. He uses ravens to bring food. He uses a rock to pour out water. Donkeys to speak his word. Small children with bread and fish to feed thousands. One smooth stone to kill a giant. We can't even begin to put a leash on what God can do with a little bit. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, Instead, God chose... Things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. If it's foolish, it might just be Jesus. So who's to say that he can't use you or use the one small thing that you have? If he can use a donkey, he can use you. A very... um seasoned pastor that I used to learn under used to say the actual the other word for donkey and it always made me laugh use your imagination but I will never stop being immature about that so (laughs) I think the original didn't the original bible say it I think it did anyways what I really want to talk about today is the different seasons that we will be in whenever God does a miracle Sometimes, according to the story, sometimes we'll be the widow. Sometimes we'll be Elijah. Sometimes we will be the oil and the flour. And it'll make sense here in a bit. Today, some of you are the widow. Verse 12 said, She said, I I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single praise piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of my jug I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die as a woman I can imagine this widow sensing even if she might not know who the Lord is that she is in the presence of a man of God As a woman, nurturing, hosting, welcoming, these are all very real parts of who we are. My husband always gets really scared of me when we're getting ready to, like, have something at our house. A lot of times I can't find him, but I lose my ever-loving mind. And Usually I'm screaming about things. Why are the walls so dirty? Why does everything smell like Kevin? Kevin's our dog. We need to get rid of the couches. How fast can we do that? Like, why, how long have we lived like this? And so I usually can't find him. And God help him if he tells me that somebody's coming over 30 minutes before somebody comes over. Picture this. This is such a side note. 
Mother's Day 2019. It's a fresh wound. And Kathy knows, because I came in that day after Mother's Day and said, well, I'll tell you. Okay, so picture this, Mother's Day 2019. I wake up, the birds are chirping, Vanessa's imagining, oh, it's Mother's Day. I'm not crazy. I know it's not going to be perfect, but maybe, just maybe, it's going to be a nice Mother's Day with maybe a little bit of pampering. But alas... The day is full of cleaning poopy butts because I have small children. I probably should have added that. Getting cranky kids dressed, feeding picky kids, bringing crazy kids here to church where they lose their minds on a weekly basis. Vanessa leaving here embarrassed never going to church again, go home to take an angry nap. Has anybody had an angry nap before? We love them. We go, we lock the door, we're not bothered because everybody's scared of mom. Walk in the door to a messy house, which I say, it is Mother's Day and I do not need to do anything with this. And then my perfect husband comes up to me and says, mother-in-law will be here in 30 minutes. Vanessa throws a table through the wall, speed cleans like she never has before, goes into her room, takes the angry nap, even while mother-in-law is there, because it's Mother's Day and I don't care. Don't do it, men. Don't do this. If you are not married, learn this now. Don't you do that to your wife. And if you are married, stop it, for goodness sakes. Do this. We hate not being able to welcome. We hate not being able to provide for our guests. We want everybody to feel welcome in our home. So I can imagine that for this woman, no matter what she's going through in that moment, at the most superficial level, she's at least a little bit embarrassed that she is not able to provide for her guest. At the very, very, very surface of it. But that aside, we then get a little bit of a sneak peek at this deep, deep fear of death that resides within her. This is it. This is the last meal that we're going to eat. The distress that she feels that she's not able to feed her son, something she was born and bred to do since the moment she laid eyes on him. That she couldn't provide for his most basic need. The despair that she experienced in wondering, is it going to be hours? Is it going to be days? Is it going to be weeks before we starve to death? If you are the widow today, I want to explain something to you. First of all, it's okay to be the widow. God's eye is on you right now. For those with depression, being told to just get outside more, try volunteering and you might just experience some joy for yourself. God sees you. 
those with addiction who are being told, look at your child. Isn't, isn't she worth it to just stop it? God sees you. Those on the verge of divorce being told, have you tried praying together? Did you know that couples that pray together stay together? God sees you. Side note, those are the wrong things to say. And if I ever hear anybody say any of those things, I will lay a holy smack down. Those are always the wrong things to say. Our generation is going through things and strongholds that cliches are not going to fix. You know what helps that? By going to that person and saying, what can I do for you right here, right now that will help you in this moment? Don't just throw one-liners at them. Despair is despair. And what we just sang is that God does not belittle our suffering. He comforts us in all of our unravelings. So we owe people more than just throwing one-liners at them. If you don't learn anything else, learn that today. No amount of positive thinking will make reality go away. It was probably wise of Elijah not to say to the woman, keep your head up. You can't experience sunshine with a little bit of clouds. When the woman was looking at her last bit of flour and oil to make food before she dies. No, what she needed was an intervention. What she needed was a miracle. And I know what it feels like. I know exactly what it feels like to go through a period of a really long drought after years and years and years of plenty. It's ugly. It's messy. It's depressing. There's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of frustration, a lot of tears, and a lot of wondering, is this how it's going to be forever? Am I going to die like this? It is not overdramatic. It is not you just feeling sorry for yourself. It is not you playing the victim. It is raw, it is real, and it is a season that all of us will go through. But God will bring you out of it. He will bring in Elijah. He will fill those vats again, and you will not die like this. He cares for the sparrows. He knows when each and every one of them fall to the ground. How much more does he care for you? How very close is he to you? Beside you, behind you, in front of you, within you. Matthew 10.30 says, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Some versions say that the hairs on your head have all been counted. Do you know how close you have to be to somebody to be able to count their hair? If I'm looking at Nadia right now, I cannot count her hair. If I take five steps to her, I still cannot see how many hairs are on her head. In order for me to count the hairs on her head, I have to move her sweet little halchy thing here. I need to sit next to her, and I need to get up close and personal, and I have to touch her, and I have to be close, and I have to be intimate, and I have to be personal. That is who God is to all of us. He is close, and he is personal, and he every single part of us matters to him. The big, the little, the seemingly insignificant, the minor details, those major life changes, the sickness, the tight budget, the loss, the success, the death, new life, your drive to work, the bedtime readings to your babies, your fights with your wife, 
He is fully involved in all of it. He is big enough to do miracles when it comes to social and global injustice, but he is small enough to hear your prayer for one more day of sobriety. He is aware, he is invested, and he is already working in your story. You will not die like this. You will not be here forever. Ultimately, we would think that the main goal would be to be Elijah in this story. You know, you read his stories, what faith, what justice, what authority he walked in. If you read the rest of the books, he does the craziest miracles, things you'd never hear about. What we don't realize, though, is that in order to walk in this high authority in the kingdom, it comes with a cost. Three and a half years waiting in the wilderness, wondering if your next meal is going to come. Trusting God completely and utterly for food and drink. Going face to face with these prophets and these armies who not only want to kill you, but want to stamp down that everything that God has done in Israel, everything that God is in Israel. Suffering such deep depression that he had suicidal thoughts and he wanted God to take his life. It is total reliance on God. And it also means doing things that are way out of your comfort zone, like asking a starving woman for food. If that was me, I would have said, you better do something here, Lord. God is faithful, and he rewards for sacrifice and obedience, obedience being the greater factor there, as we learned last week. And so we're going to go through these seasons where it feels like the grace and favor are just so heavy on us that we're overflowing. It's almost like God is one step ahead of us, just like kissing everything that we're about to put our hands to. Protect these moments. Protect them with everything that you have. Because just as God is one step in front of you, pride is one step behind you. It's easy to forget that just days before, you may have been the widow. Remember where you came from. Remember, memorialize what God has done. Lest we forget and begin to think that all of this is done by our own hands. So yes, pursue being Elijah. Pursue miracles. Pursue being so tight-knit with God that everything you put your hand to is changed forever by the love of Jesus. Yes, that is the ultimate goal. But be careful. Be prayerful and careful. And always, we always keep our eyes on Jesus. So sometimes we're the widow. Sometimes we're Elijah. And sometimes we're the flower and the oil. So I have a little story for you. Some of you may have already heard this story. I'm going to tell it again. So a couple months ago, my brother had asked me and my three small children to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which if you've never been there, beautiful. Um, and at first I said, absolutely not. And I probably added some words in there because who can travel with three small kids? My husband had been to China. He, had, he couldn't go. So finally I said yes because he just kept getting on me about it. And so um, I said, though, you know, they were driving down there, and his kids are a little bit older. And I said, the thought of being in a car 
with three kids for 10 hours sounds like hell. So I'm not going to do that. Let's make it easy and get on a plane. If I thought that a ride in the car would be hell, I don't even know what level of hell the airport represented. It was, and I had a friend with me. I had a friend who I paid her ticket to get to Tennessee. I will pay for you to help me with this. And so it's overwhelming. I didn't realize that, like, when you go through security with three little kids, all their shoes have to come off. All their bags have to go through their headphones, their tablets. And then if you have a baby, you have to take her out of the car seat, take the car seat out of the stroller, break everything down, get it through security, build it all back up, all with a four-year-old that just loves to run, getting kidnapped by strangers. So it was nuts. We finally get into the plane, which was the best part of the whole thing because they loved it. But in the plane, I'm like sweat, like cold sweating, thinking there is no way, there's not even the slightest chance that I'm going to be able to do this by myself on the way back. It was just too much. So we get to Gatlinburg. It's like 11.30 at night. We get to the hotel. We find out that they don't have a bed for the baby, which like 12 hours before that they said that there was. And then we get in our hotel room, and I'm telling you, The person who marketed this hotel room did a really good job because it was nothing like it was marketed. I'm pretty sure that at least three people had died in that hotel room. There there was holes in the wall, super-duper shady, super-duper dirty, and the kids, bless their hearts, had never been into a hotel room before, so they thought it was, like, super-duper fancy. So that was a blessing, but it was really bad. The whole trip was just one thing after another, bad, not bad experiences, but you know how everything just doesn't go the way that you want it to. And I kept apologizing to my brother saying like, I'm not usually this much of a hot mess. Like this is not, but it was bad. So about two days before um, we're about to leave, panic attack, I can't do this. And I just panicked and I canceled our flight (laughs) home. And I said, we'll just drive. We'll just get another rental car. We'll just drive home. Nothing could have been worse than the airport. So that was two days before. The day before we leave, I decide to set up the rental car situation. But also the day before, I I lost my credit card. And if you know anything about rental places, a lot of times they don't do any sort of transactions without a credit card. And so I'm doing a lot of research, and I look, and I finally find one that does take a debit card. Well, praise the Lord. So I do that whole thing. We leave the day that we're supposed to leave, whatever. It's all a blur. We have to drive three hours to the Nashville airport because uh, I have to return the first rental car to get the other one. So we get there, and I pull in, and it is just like a cluster cuss of a mess. And so we, I get the kids out. We set up the stroller, get the 
the baby in the car seat, car seat in the stroller. I get my big giant bag. I got my backpack, my big purse. Kids have their backpacks. We're ready to go. We start taking a couple steps. And then this magical lady drives right up, like kind of pulls in, you know, and she says, you look like you need some help. She's on like what I like to call a super scooter because it's like a golf cart, but it's like a limo golf cart, you know, man? And so like she packs all our stuff on there, gets all the bags, breaks down the stroller. She's like magic. And so we go and it's like a half of a mile to get from where the cars are all the way back into the terminal to do the rental process. Then you saved my life, lady. Thank you. So we get into the terminal. I start saying my goodbyes. And she says, no, no, no. I am here until you leave this place. Thank you. I think she could just smell the fear on me. And so she said, you go ahead, take care of the rental situation. I'm going to sit here with your kids. Bless the Lord. And so I go up to the window, and I start the whole process. And she asks for the payment, and I give her my debit card, which I specifically read that they accept. We don't accept that. And I said, but you do. And she said, what be, we don't. Unless you have a flight itinerary, we don't accept debit cards. And so in that moment, Vanessa became Nene, which I think I've explained before, and nobody wants to see that. And I said, what do you want me to do? I will pay you cash. I go to an ATM. I'll pay whatever you want me to pay. It's a security issue. And so she said, is there anybody here that you could use their credit card and then you can pay them? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I live in Girard, Ohio. No, I don't know anybody here. There's nobody I can call. I almost went to the lady on the super scooter to ask if she had a credit card, but I didn't do that. And so she says, well, sometimes banks will mail you a credit card if you're in dire straits. Just take 24, 48 hours. So you want me to stay away from my home for two more days with my three kids who just want to go home. So it was in that moment right there that I began to cry. And so I walked back to the lady who was taking care of my kids, who listened to her really well, and I wish they would listen to me. And I broke down like I've never broken down in my life in front of, like, however many people are walking through Nashville Airport. Like, (gasps) you know, the ugly. And so I tell her my story. And she walks up to me, she points to a chair, and she says, sit down. (laughs) So I sat down. She goes to the bathroom. She gets me some tissues. She comes back, hands them to me, and she said, let me see what I can do. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, the poor kids are worried, like really, really worried about me because they've never seen me like this before. And I watch her as she goes from one teller to the next, one rental place to the next, asking them if they could help me. She finally finds, it's like 10 minutes later, she comes back and she says, come on up here with me. <laughs> so I walk with, up with her and she leans on the counter like she has some sort of like authority, but I know she doesn't because she drives the scooter, you know? And so <laughs> she leans over and she tells the guy, you need to help her out. And he says, sure. You know, so he had me you know, telling my story. I only had a debit card. And he's like, yeah, we could take a debit card. He said, but 
With the debit card, there's a little bit of security that you have to go through. So you can use your debit card, but you can't to get the car for another 24 hours. And I started to cry again. There's a lot of crying in the story. And she leans in and she goes, figure it out. (laughs) And so I'm just standing there weeping. Good for nothing, really. And he says, there's nothing I can do. It's not like I could just magically make it happen. I have no authority here. What I, you know, it just is the thing. It's the rule. It's the thing. It's the small writing. And she says, you need to try it. Just try it. And so he's like rolling his eyes in the back of his head, like putting in my information. And he looks up and he says, it worked. He said, it should not have worked. It never works. And then the next thing he said to me was, are you a Christian? Because that was God. And I think I cried again. (laughs) He gives me my paperwork, sends me on my way, tells me to get whatever car I want. We get back in the scooter. We head the half a mile back out into the rental cars. The lady has the kids pick out their favorite car. She sits me in the front seat. She buckles my kids in. She puts my bags in my trunk. And she sends me on my way. The whole way back to the cars, after that whole thing happened with her, she said, do you know what just happened there? She said, what just happened there is the result of kindness. She said, every single day, I walk to every single one of those tellers, and I tell them, hello, I ask them how they are, and I ask them if they need anything. She said, I firmly believe that if you show a little bit of kindness, it's going to come back to you. And you are the reason why I did that all those times. What blesses me the most about that was when we were driving away from the airport, was that I got the opportunity to explain to my seven-year-old what he just witnessed, which was a miracle. Because he was so worried about me, and I said, buddy, what you just saw was mommy panicking. What you just saw was mommy at the end of her rope, totally good for nothing, not able to take care of you right at that moment. But God saw us, and he did something there. And for my seven-year-old, who's just figuring out who God is and starting to kind of point in that direction, that meant the world to him. Now, here's the thing. That woman was flour and oil. The thing about flour and oil is it doesn't know when it's being used. It's nameless. It's faceless. Oftentimes used by God, but having no idea that it's being used by God. The flour and oil in the story of Elijah, of course it had no idea it was being used, but it was nourishing this family. There is such fun with being flour and oil. In my opinion, it's the best part of all of them. Being flour and being oil means that you are the vessel by which God performs miracles, but oftentimes you are completely unaware. And it's not until you get to heaven that you begin to see how God has truly used you in his kingdom. You get no thanks. You get no attention. 
Nobody even notices, sometimes not even yourself. The only thing that we are responsible for is opening ourselves up to God each and every day, asking him to use us however he wants to use us in order to advance his kingdom and to touch people's lives for Jesus. It's just like Kyle talked about last week, the three questions you ask yourself. The very first question, God, what are we doing today? Who do you want me to pay attention to today? When we think of Jesus, it's easier to think of him as the Elijah. In fact, People thought he was Elijah when he came back. (laughs) Miracles, signs, wonders, healing, transfiguration, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. But at times in his life, I think that God gave Jesus the ability to be flour and oil. And making just as much of an impact in the kingdom than all that other big stuff. Carpenter. Son, teacher, friend, servant, foot washer, guest at the table full of prostitutes and tax collectors. Sometimes simply being yourself is enough to bring people to Jesus. Sometimes just keeping a constant listening ear to the Holy Spirit is enough to affect the kingdom. When I was a children's pastor a long time ago, We used to play a game with the kids that, you know, they were really long Pentecostal services. So we had to have lots of things to do. But we would play this game where we would ring the bell, and then you'd give them something to do, but they had to wait until you rang the bell, and then they went and did it. And it was just a lesson on listening and obeying. May we be the people who, when God rings the bell, we obey with the ringing still in our ears. But being flour and oil comes with a price. In this social media generation, it is nearly impossible to do a good deed without posting it on Facebook or Instagram. We give money to the poor person, and we post his picture on Facebook so that people know how poor he really was. We we post a picture of ourselves praying because we are so, so super spiritual. We go on a missions trip and we post a picture of the sad, destitute areas that you're working in. We're going to make it better. Hashtag feeding the poor. Hashtag servant's heart. Hashtag inspiring others. And why do we do it? We do it for the likes. We do it for the hearts. We do it for the thumbs up. But there are two issues with that. The first one is that you are raising yourself up at the expense of the very person that you are helping. That is not good. Two, any likes you get, any hearts you get, any thumbs ups that you get, that is the only reward you're going to get. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, be careful not to perform your righteous acts before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do give to the needy, Don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be praised by men. Truly, I tell you, they have already had their reward in full. But when you do give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
The woman who helped me at the airport will likely never receive the attention that she deserves for helping me. Trust me, I have tried to find her. I did the video, got like a thousand watches. I was hoping somebody might be able to point me in the direction. I got a hold of Nashville Airport, sent the video to them, no response. I spoke to her supervisor, and she has no idea who this woman is. Angel, don't know, don't care, because I know that it was God. She will likely never get a true, heartfelt, not rushed, not crazy Vanessa thank you. Like flour and oil, she may not even realize how much she helped me. But this, I can tell you, in my 18 years of knowing Jesus, never once has one experience brought me closer to the knowledge of God's love and provision like that moment. And she doesn't even know it. Not till we get to heaven. Are you okay being nameless? Are you okay being faceless? Are you okay with loving the one in front of you without them ever knowing your name? Are we okay with our left hand never knowing what our right hand is doing? Are we okay with the fact that we may never know the difference that we have made here on earth until we reach heaven? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for that secret reward. But it is so much more worth it. Because instead of getting hearts and thumbs ups and likes, our reward is going to be handed to us by the scarred hands of Jesus. Those jewels will be placed in our crown that we then can lay back at his feet. And nothing can compare to that. As the people of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be a witness and to be a part of what Jesus wants to do here on this earth. And the crazy thing is that he asks us to partner with him. So we stay open. We keep our hands and our ears open, ever listening for that bell to ring. And when it does, we move. Let's pray. Father, it is the biggest honor that you would ever even think that we could partner with you to do what you want to do here. You are capable of whatever you want to do here. And yet, you ask me to help Father, I thank you for the widows here today. I thank you that no matter where they are, Lord, that you are sending an Elijah to them. I thank you that you don't belittle our suffering, that you comfort us in our unraveling, just as you've done for me probably a hundred times. So I thank you for encouraging the widows. I ask that you would bless the Elijahs to continue the hard work that it takes to be an Elijah, to make a difference, to see change, to see people come to you. And my prayer is that you would always make me, that you would always make us flour and oil ready to be used by you. 
We don't need to know the difference that we've made. We don't need to know. We don't need to hear a thank you. We don't need to see the face. Father, it's about you and you alone and bringing people closer to you. So God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for speaking to me, if not anybody else, my priorities and where I need to be. Father, we love you. We honor you. We bless you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.